Hi, and welcome to the Unlocking Customer Service Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Richmond. I'm here every week talking with guests who can help you realize the full potential of your contact center and customer service team to keep growing your business. Oh, and you can do all of that while still prioritizing your people. In fact, that's the secret to it all. Let's chat with our next guest. In this episode, we're chatting with Brennan McEachran, CEO and founder of Soapbox, a solution that empowers over 100,000 managers to lead high-performing teams. Uh, Brennan, can you tell me a little bit about Soapbox and uh, what brought you to start that and and what that's about? Absolutely. Yeah. So Soapbox um, uh, really is kind of born out of a personal need, right? I think uh, everyone who uh, eventually becomes a manager kind of goes through this like weird process where you know, you, you'll go to school for four years, right? And if you're any good, you'll get a job straight out of school. And then you you work for four to eight years in a particular role that you've been trained to do because of schooling. And then you get good enough at it, whether that's being an engineer or a salesperson or, you know, customer success person or whatever it happens to be. Um, you get so good at it that someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I'm going to give you a promotion and your job is going to include like making more of yourself, right? You're going to have a team of people. And um, that little trick happens. Um, and and it's, it's really a, uh, it's a career change disguised as a promotion, right? Like you go from building software to no longer building software, but helping your team, right? Mm-hmm. You go from managing customers to no longer managing the customers, but helping your team. And it needs a whole new set of skills that you've had no training for. Um, and it's really, really hard. And I think we often forget about it. And so going through that transition myself, um, you know, there's a lot of learning where you kind of just smash your face through a brick wall and you're like, oh, okay, I won't do that again. And, uh, you know, the, the the only real training that existed out there were these books. Like you would, you know, go through an airport or a bookstore or go on Amazon or hear something from a friend. Oh, you should read you should read this book. It, it, it's awesome. It'll super, it'll help you a lot. So then you read it. And I just thought, well, like there's gotta be a better way, right? Like, you know, managers often are the highest paid people in their organizations. Like there's gotta be a better, you know, tool than a book. And it mm-hmm. uh, turns out like there really wasn't one. There's a variety of reasons like why that is, but um, there really wasn't a tool built to help managers be the, you know, the best boss their team has ever experienced. Um, so, you know, started off building this for myself and ended up uh, kind of catching fire a little bit and, and taking off. So what's the current state of manager training? How do companies get their managers where they need to be right now? It's it's obviously changed a lot. I mean, for the most part, the, the current state is just null, right? Like most managers get absolutely zero training. In, in fact, the average manager who does get training gets said training after 10 years of management experience, right? So most is figured out as you go. Most is, um, you know, learn on the job. Most is trial and error. I think, you know, the danger there is just it's it's trial and error on, you know, on people's lives, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the people you're, you're managing, if you screw up, if you fire someone the wrong way, you can damage someone um, mm-hmm. for, for a long period of time and, and cause them maybe to even leave the industry that, that you work within. And I think that's scary. You know, I think there's a reason why some of these books are popular and they're uh, prescriptive workflows that give you 80% of what you need. Um, the issue is we're humans, right? So we're forgetful. We're not very disciplined when it comes to following processes. You know, we like to take the easy way out if we think we can get away with it. Um, and so while the books might have the best practices, 
humans in general are just riddled with worse practices. And so the, the truth of it is, right, the current state is uh, there's a ton of bad managers in the world, and they don't necessarily intend to be uh, the worst manager. They think they're doing okay, or they think they're getting by, or, you know, at the same time, they, they're stressed, right? They've got their own mental health to deal with, their own stress levels, their own burnout um, to figure out. And, you know, they're not necessarily getting... Uh, any of that credit from their team or, or, or from their boss either, right? So, you know, I think for the most part, the current state is figured out as, as you go and, and the best managers get promoted and the worst managers, kind of the Peter principle, the worst managers get stuck in the org chart, don't get promoted and continue to be bad managers, which I don't think is a good state for, for most of the workforce to, uh, to be in. So it sounds like the current status quo is just learning on the fly, figure it out yourself. And if you can muddle through, then you can succeed. Well, and I think beyond managers, right? Like um, it, 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 the current state for employees is pretty terrible too. The average worker has an inexperienced boss who's probably doing a bad job in various different ways. And, you know, let's be hopeful that someone tells them that's not a great way to be managed either. And um, that has various effects across the entire organization beyond just retention. Like the quote that's often said is people leave managers, not companies. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to, if you're going to quit, it probably has to do with some of the people above you in the org chart than, than the, you know, the theory behind the company. And, you know, for the most part, I think people have experienced that. We've been a part of a sales team that has low morale. Those sales teams don't perform as well as sales teams with high morale. We've been a part of uh, engineering teams where, or, you know, success teams where people get fired if they do something wrong without any warning or something like that, right? And I don't think that's a, a great state for the employees to be in either. And I don't think that's a great state for the company to be in if, you know, we really are in this kind of talent war where we want to you know, keep the best talent long term. So yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's a huge impact uh, on the market. It's just this interesting status quo that's existed forever that, you know, the highest paid people in the organization receive no training for their job. Mm -hmm. Well, like you're saying too, you know, we go to school and you you think you're you're going to school for this thing. You're, do, you're not taking the classes to be a manager. You're not taking, you're not looking for ways to grow as being a manager when you're getting your training or even, you know, uh, coding boot camps and all these things in the tech industry that people train for a job. None of that involves training to become a manager. It involves training to get, you know, to learn a coding language. And, or like, a product. and like, how could you, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one, one big thing I think that managers have to go through is you have to adjust your style to fit your team. Um, and if so, someone is giving you feedback on your style, which is for most people, just their default personality, it can be, you know, it can cut to their core and it can be really, you know, in some ways come across as mean or offensive, even though a person doesn't intend it to be. So how do you train someone to not take that offensively? Mm -hmm. Right. What's the training regimen to solve that? And and it's tough. I mean, especially if you get promoted, what's the training to handle the situation where you've been promoted into a manager and someone else on the team wasn't, and now you manage that person and they have you know, they hold resentment to you, but you're still trying to be friends because you were friends before. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you handle that situation? It's tough. So I think that the training aspect of it is hard. I I do think there are common longstanding practices that help you get the majority of the way through. Um, and they're, they're old because humans are, you know, we've been around for a while, you know, our flaws are, are the same. Um, and, you know, different from technology or different from some of the functional practices that we do need training on, 
you know, engineering software that that changes rapidly. Mm-hmm. Expectations of of customer service and support change rapidly. Um, you know, particularly in business right now, I think everyone is is expecting consumer level, you know, product service and support, while at the same time, enterprise white glove service and support. Mm-hmm. But with humans, I think we we haven't really changed. I mean, one book that's commonly brought up when it comes to being a good leader at a company, managing a large group of people and making strategic decisions. One book you'll probably have heard of is The Art of War. It's a common book title that you've heard of. It's 500 years older than Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still referred to as a, a helpful book for uh, managing groups of people. I mean, there's like really savage stuff in that book as well. Um which really shouldn't be brought up in the workplace <laughs> at all by any means. Um, but the fact that people still reference that book as insightful for managing people, and it's 500 years older than year one, I think that tells you that the, the, you know, the best practices for managing humans are you know pretty common because humans are pretty much the same. Um, the issue is there's a lot of core flaws to you know, yourself as a manager as well, that you kind of have to get over. And I think that's where software can really lean in and, and, and be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's where, that's where we're trying to fit in. How did, so how did we get to this state? You know, if this book has been around the ideas, the concepts did, uh, like, I guess, business and structure uh, outpace the idea of how we need to manage people or, you know, how did we get to this current state? I mean, on that relative time scale, software itself is pretty new, you know, going from, the ancient times to now, the technology of the day for managing things went from the Egyptians carving things in stone to the Egyptians putting things on paper. That technology of managing things on paper persisted from papyrus all the way up until, for most of humanity, the 90s. Where things changed, I would say, is in the 2000s, SaaS started making purpose-built solution software more accessible to the average company. Instead of you know purchasing it, you you could kind of rent it, and that allowed people to get CRMs that you know otherwise there would be no way they could afford a CRM or 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 get tools like Sharpen right where they had no there no no way to custom build that for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that led to a revolution in the functional use cases. I need software for my sales team. I need software for my support team. I need software for my engineering team. I need software for my product team. The, you know, the different functional units um, uh, started looking to how can software help us uh, outperform our competitors. The issue is there, there's no one to call for middle management software. There's no person that deals with you know, the common problems that sales managers face and engineering managers face and support managers face across the the organization. That's gray zone where sadly, 75% of people today in those roles use paper to manage still. In fact, a status symbol of a manager who's taking their job seriously right now is a moleskin notebook, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, they bring their moleskin notebook to a meeting or they're doing a Zoom call and they open up and they they diligently take notes. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, a diligent salesperson isn't is they're documenting that in in Salesforce or a diligent engineer is you know making sure code is documented and GitHub's up to date and Jira's going smooth and et cetera et cetera. The VPs 
also need this help. And, and the CEOs also need this help. There's no tool for the CEO either. You know, he's got to jump between, or she's got to jump between the sales software and the support software and the success software and all these different dashboards that every software provides. And it turns out instead of learning the 30,000 different pieces of software that she needs to learn in order to understand the state of her business, she just calls a leadership team meeting and asks those 10 people, what's the state mm -hmm. of thing? And for that meeting, she uses a Moleskine notebook. So, um, you know, instead of doing that and flipping back and forth between pages and saying, hey, did you do the thing you promised you, me you were going to do? Um, you know, I think software can kind of lean in there and be helpful. Because ultimately everybody, you know, the, the way we do business might have changed, but the, the goal of the business is always the same. Happy customers, happy employees. We want people to be productive, feel productive and feel like they're successful in their job. So, yeah. uh, so what can a manager do using these tools or using, you know, what can they start to learn to, to help their customer service team feel successful? I think a lot of it, you know, boils down to a couple core things and, and, and it really starts with like, what are humans bad at? So the, the first thing that humans are bad at is, um, remembering things, which is why the, in a lot of organizations there's a huge focus on documentation. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing, you know, we're pretty bad at is being intentional. We're usually you know, the more tired we get, the more reactive we get versus proactive. Um, I think we're, you know, as the days go on, it, it's, it's harder to differentiate between urgent and important. I think stress creeps up. It's harder to create psychologically safe environment. As, you know, new people to the team, it's harder to share feedback because we're probably tribal creatures and we don't want to offend people. But if you don't share feedback, then you can't make things better. So, I think there's all these things and there's different best practices to, to get it out of the way. But, um, I, you know, I think there are kind of almost like prescriptions you can prescribe to teams. And so what I would say is the core stuff, you know, that the average manager can kind of take and, and lean it, lean on, um, to, to do a better job. One is just understanding your, your quarterly priorities. Right. And so what are those goals? I think a, a big piece of that is understanding the goals that you've been handed and under, understand the goals that your team wants to accomplish um, and how kind of how can you you marry those things together and commit to something for 90 days right commit to something that you think is is achievable in 90 days but commit to it uh, and have everyone understand why it's important and the impact of it and all that stuff that takes time you're gonna have to repeat it because again humans are bad at remembering things so as a manager repeat it every single meeting for the next 12 weeks and then they'll know you know the other thing is like i said urgent sometimes takes over important tasks. I think we've all experienced this, but Hey, if mm -hmm. we, if we've picked, these are going to be the quarterly priorities, like the next 90 days, the most important things are a, B and C, then let's start every single meeting with a, B and C. And then once we get through that, let's deal with the urgent stuff. Cause a lot mm -hmm. of times the urgent stuff, if you just ignore it for a week, it turns out it's not that urgent. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you ignore your important things, um, for a couple weeks, by the time the end of the quarter rolls around, it becomes painful and, and mm -hmm. urgent and people get in trouble. So there's a purpose of these goals, whether it's a smart, smart goals or OKRs or MBOs or whatever, they all exist. All of these different goal frameworks exist to help people stay aligned to what is important. And we fail pretty miserably at, at keeping that top of mind. So I think the first thing is know what they are, repeat it a lot, share it with your team, make sure your team understands what they are. Uh, make sure they have a say in exactly what those metrics are and, and things that are important. And then tie that to your weekly actions. I think there's a couple weekly actions for every team that are borderline mandatory. So 
obviously, well, maybe it's not obvious, but you should have probably a weekly team meeting, maybe a bi-weekly team meeting if your team's really large, but a weekly team meeting, Monday or Friday or whatever day it is, um, get together as a team and talk about the important things and then talk about the urgent things. Uh, make sure everyone's up to date on news, make sure everyone's up to date on you know what's happening. Make sure people have a say if they need to share something. It's an opportunity for them. You can kind of invite that out of them versus, you know, hope that they just miraculously build the courage and, and, and share it with you. So do that every week, right? And start that, start every meeting with your goals. And if you do that, then every single week, you're going to be talking about um, the most important things, which you need to do because we forget about 90% of things after seven days. So if you share what your goals are in one meeting, seven days later, most people will only retain 10% of it. So you, you kind of have to have a weekly meeting. I would mm -hmm. put weekly one-on-ones in there as well um, for a variety of reasons. But um, one is some people feel safer sharing feedback in private to you than in front of their peers. But also, if you're going to share feedback to them, share it in private. Praise people at the team meeting. Share things that are maybe a little bit more critical in private because no one wants to be ridiculed in front of the team, right? Like yeah. this is just obvious stuff. But if you don't have the... If you don't have the opportunity for it every single week, then you're either going to ridicule someone in front of the team or let it pass, which is, you know, and ignore it, which is just as bad. So, you know, that's pretty simple and, and just make those meetings great every single week. And then I think the other thing is check in on morale, right? Like if you're, if you're 60% of the way through the quarter and those goals are so out of whack that there's just no way to hit them, people are just going to say, those goals are stupid. I don't care about those goals anymore. I'm going to do whatever I want because there's no way we're going to hit them. And like Brennan's mm -hmm. dumb, right? And so that might be an opportunity to say, hey, I'm with you. I don't think we can hit these anymore. What do we think we can hit? Mm -hmm. Like what's the closest we can get if we were to really stretch and come up with a couple Hail Mary plays that we think could work, right? And I think that's that's what the goals are there for. They're there for you to try to hit them, not, not to ignore them. But, you know, if mm -hmm. morale's low, you know, you have to address it. You can't just pretend like morale's not low, you know, and you can, I think if you think of this as like a customer service team, you know, if you come out with a, a goal that every month you want to have a 90% customer satisfaction rating, and in the first week, there's a major product outage and every single customer rates everyone poorly. Now there's no chance you get 90%. Mm -hmm. One week of the month, um, was just so bad. There's absolutely no chance. The reps on the phone, they've already lost. In week one, this month is already shot. Who cares? So instead, do you move the goalpost? Do you change the goalpost from monthly to weekly? Like, let's just try to get three weeks in a row of 90% versus one month. I think those things are all important in keeping people motivated and aligned and happy and feeling like they're, you know, achieving something great versus just being demoralized, right? And if mm -hmm. you can do that every 90 days, you know, with a variety of other things, but if you can do that every 90 days, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. But anyways, there's, there's lots that you, mm -hmm. you go into and how to actually accomplish, you know, more of that. So what would you say to the people who uh, like to say that this meeting could have been an email? I think it's a great point. It probably could have been. I, I think um, our app is probably the best app for having meetings. And, and I only have core process oriented meetings two days a week. And we're very avid dog fooders of our app. I think meetings, I think there's a, there, there, there's a disconnect a little bit between people who view, uh, people who attend meetings and people who call meetings. And, and I just don't think it's talked about enough. For the most part, people who are calling meetings are calling a meeting for one of two reasons. One is it's 
a core pillar of their process uh, is is a step in their process is this meeting, right? Uh, and another thing is um, that it's the, the the only authority they feel like they can or you know the they can flex to hold people accountable is um, group and peer pressure or face-to-face pressure, mm-hmm. right? So for example, if you are good at your project management software, you should never have a, a meeting that talks about it. But the issue is no matter how great your project management software is, people still aren't going to do things, mm-hmm. right? Like the project <laughs> management software doesn't make them do it all on time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically, and and it doesn't it doesn't force them to be great communicators. So the the person calling the meeting probably wants to know: Are there things I need to know that I don't know, and I don't trust that you guys are, you know, inputting all of this properly? Or, you know, it looks like we're behind, and I can't hold people accountable in an app by pressing a button. So I I have to hold people accountable, and I, you know, they're going to have to show up and explain to the group why they didn't do their work. Uh, and, and I think the other thing is like, sometimes there's like a regular routine and cadence to things that uh, exist because that's kind of the metabolism of the organization. That's the rate at which they can digest information and change. And so things like the weekly meeting, sometimes they exist because that's kind of the, the pace that humans, you know, need. And, you know, you might hear the same information 12 times in a row and go like, they, they don't need to say that anymore. They don't need to, to remind me to do that. The issue is just because you remember that one factoid, other people won't. And, and uh, you know, statistically, you're only going to remember 10%. You're going to feel overly confident that you remember everything. But then a week later, you're going to be confused as to why your boss is telling you you've done the task wrong. And so that's why those things exist. I, I think what I'll say is if you focus on the important things always, then there's going to be less emergency meetings. If every Monday you start off every single Monday by saying, here's our most important goals for the next 90 days, this one's green, this one's red, this one's yellow. Here's what I think is the issues. What do you guys think the issues are? What do we need to do to fix them so that we get our projects back on track by the end of the quarter? Okay, cool. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. Awesome. That makes Mm -hmm. me feel great that we're on it. That That can take five minutes. And then, okay, is there anything else that's urgent that needs to be discussed? Oh, a customer wrote in and is complaining about this thing. Okay, cool. Let's take that offline and go and talk about it, right? I think most meetings are the flip. Um, mm-hmm. People show up. There's absolutely no agenda. There's one person monologuing because they feel like, shit, I called this meeting. I need to talk so that, you know, there's a purpose to the next 45 minutes. I have a lot of things I want to talk about anyways. I'm a good, I'm a good talker. I can blab forever. It's not relevant for most people. And, you know, the people who are otherwise the loudest are just going to bring up the urgent thing. Oh, customer A, you know, emailed us. And then those two people talk about that and seven people wait. The truth is like your meetings aren't going to be good if unless they're intentional and no one shows up with an agenda. So step one, show up with an agenda. Step two, if everyone, you know, who's attending that meeting has partial responsibility for that agenda, right? Add to it. Um, if you want to bring something up, add to it, right? And mm-hmm. at the start of the meeting, we can decide the priority of these topics and and some of the you know urgent things that are low priority, put them at the bottom. And if you have time, talk about them. If you don't have time, talk about it offline. Make it an email. That's totally fine, right? <laughs> you know, I think most people don't do that. And then I think what happens is there's meetings that are called throughout the day because they're like emergency. Like, oh shoot, 
we totally forgot to talk about this really important thing, emergency. You know, the CEO is asking me about it. Um, can you jump in a quick, you know, 15, 30 minute thing and let's scramble, right? Mm -hmm. uh, instead, I think if you're, you're kind of intentional from the get, which takes energy, by the way. And I think for a lot of managers, spending that energy in that way doesn't feel productive because we're trained for 20 years through school and then university, and then, you know, the first probably six, six years, eight years of our careers, that productive things equal tangible output, right? Mm -hmm. Like a productive Results. A result, right? A productive thing is closing a deal. A, a productive thing is talking to a customer. A productive thing is doing a presentation. A productive thing is shipping some code. It's rare for a productive thing to be, let me sit and think for 15 minutes about what I want to talk about and then document my, my end result. I think it's, it's like the same reason why in tech often, you know, it won't be uncommon for someone to read a medium blog post about how they should run their team. Oh, I, I was just reading this like blog post about how we should like run our, our customer service team. And that's totally okay to do that during work hours, spend, you know, five, 10 minutes reading a blog post about best practice on something. Even mm -hmm. though that blog post probably took that random person who is either like a content marketer or uh, you know, someone discovering this for the first time, it probably took them an hour to write it. Meanwhile, a book that took someone an entire year to write, and they interviewed a thousand experts in order to get the actual best practices. I haven't met an average manager who is like, hey, instead of reading this medium blog post, it's equally, it's in fact, more productive for me to not do that and open a book and sit during my work day and read mm -hmm. a book. For whatever reason, like opening up a book and reading a book, totally unproductive. And in fact, yep. it's almost like you'd feel guilty. And if your yeah. team saw you do that, they'd be like, who is this yep. idiot? We got to fire them. They're not productive. <laughs> what are they not working? What are they? They're not working. But if, if they're reading a Medium article that's titled 10 ways to make your customer service team 10 times more productive, they're like, okay, this person is on it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's a little bit upside down. It's a little bit illogical. And it I get that culturally it's hard to reverse those things, but being intentional with your time, spending your time, in, 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 especially as a manager, as a leader in ways that pay dividends every single day, I think is really, really productive for you and okay to do. And, and I think a lot of managers don't want to admit just yet that, you know, they have a new definition of productivity. I think it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. hard. That's a hard leap for a lot of leaders to, to make it through and some don't right often you'll see a ceo who's like a terrible boss but a great salesperson and so that person just keeps selling i think i think though like we were talking about how if somebody sees their manager reading a book are they like my manager's not working so how do you how do you kind of fix that culture from the top down how do executives make it clear that they expect their managers to do what they need to do to get it done to then in turn empower their employees to understand that their manager is knows what they're doing to get it done. Like how oh. do you make it all okay to make everybody understand that we're all in it together trying to get it done? I think it's tough, right? It, it, it like it's um, it, it really, it's a, it's a cultural thing. And I, I don't, I don't know if, if you can, you know, to the extent that you can other than have the conversation, right. Other than, mm -hmm. other than have that conversation and talk there's, you know, the medium, blog post to book example, it's, it's totally okay to take an hour out of your day and have a phone call with someone else in your field 
right? An expert in your field. That's considered pr a productive meeting, but it, it's probably not considered productive to sit and watch that same expert do a keynote presentation on YouTube, even though mm -hmm. that expert probably spent three hours building the keynote presentation and distilling that knowledge into the keynote um, and presenting it. Um, for whatever reason, watching that on YouTube would be a faux pas. Talking to them on a Zoom call is totally okay. Flying out to the conference and sitting in on the keynote is okay. Yeah, yeah. But the watching the YouTube is 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 probably weird. So I think there's there's a lot of those things that are a little bit um, you know like counterintuitive. Um, but obviously, when you explain it, it's completely logical. You're like, yeah, you're right. Like, obviously, everyone is just like weird and stupid, and we just think YouTube is a distraction <laughs> when it can be a great learning resource. And we think yeah. we think books for some reason aren't productive when, in fact, like you know, knowledge per word they're way higher than Twitter, and it's okay to tweet at work. So, mm -hmm. um, so I think part of it is is have those conversations, right? I think have those conversations with your team, have those conversations with your boss. I think admit that um, you want to get better. Admit that no one's perfect. Admit that um, you know we're all striving to to become a more perfect version of ourselves. And there's various different ways of learning, various different learning styles. And one of the things that you you know are trying to be intentional about is learning from the highest value sources in in the shortest possible period of time. Now you you can't say that and then be on YouTube and watch Mr. Beast or like PewDiePie <laughs> or like whatever. Yeah. Like you 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 have to you know stay focused, but um, you know, is learning on the job a bad thing? I think if you can, if you can manage it and put it into a time box and, you know, maybe at your lunch hour, do it, or maybe, you know, at the end of the day or start of the day, depending on when you're best able to do it. Yeah. I think it, I'd rather someone watch a video on how to fire someone than walk in totally unprepared and fire someone and it goes so horribly wrong. So, you know, there's a variety of different styles for everyone. I think a, a big part about it is like creating a psychologically safe environment. And, and I think by default, you know, we don't do that, right? By default, we tend to, when not tended to, we tend to create a pretty psychologically unsafe environment. And I think the best example of like, for, for those that are like Brennan, that's like a PhD word, not not a um, normal word. <laughs> that's an MBA. Um, we need these MBAs in yeah, our company to figure it out. That's right. So like psychologically safe is, I think the best analogy for it is the difference between kindergartners and high schoolers. High school, not psychologically safe. Kindergarten, totally psychologically safe. In kindergarten, people are pretty comfortable being weird. They don't really get insulted when people say things about them and they're into whatever they want to be into and everyone's okay with it. So, mm -hmm. you know, it wouldn't be weird for you to go and see toddlers playing at a playground and one kid is putting rocks up his nose and the other kid is like, oh, have fun, see you later. Whereas in high school, everyone has to wear the same jeans. Everyone in high school has to have a middle part in their hair right now or else they're losers. Why? Because there it's 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 like psychological warfare in high school for some mm -hmm. strange reason and then we kind of don't as much as we get more experience we don't really mature much beyond that. So mm -hmm. um so when you go to the workplace a lot of workplaces are just as toxic. But if you can cultivate an environment where it's okay to be your weird self, it's okay to ask the embarrassing question it's okay to bring up the weird topic. It's okay to challenge, you know, the status quo or your, what your boss is saying. 
then a lot of those things become way easier. And I, I think that's the job of the manager. I think every individual team unit has its, its varying degrees of psychological safety. And Google actually did a, a study, a couple studies, Project Oxygen and, and Project Aristotle, that found one of the highest correlating factors to the performance of a team at Google was the, the relative psychological safety of that team. So teams that had high psychological safety were uh, better performers than teams that, that had low psychological safety. And that's been repeated in both the workplace and, and, and kind of more like laboratory settings as well. Kindergartners can beat uh, MBAs and, and a lot of weird assignments because of that, that same fact. <laughs> That's great because it goes back to that, the, the culture of communication. Like if you have, if, if you're the type of manager that understands how your people like to communicate, whether they're kindergartners or PhDs, if, if you understand how they like to get their information and how they uh, absorb what you need from them, then you're all going to have a better time if you're on the same plane of existence at, at work. And it stops groupthink too, right? Like the 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 one study with I think MBAs and, and kindergartners was they gave MBAs marshmallows and spaghetti and they said build build the tallest tower. And uh, I don't know if it was kindergartners, but anyways the grade school age kids usually beat the the MBAs because the grade the, the, they were just like I the kindergartners were like, I have no idea how to solve this problem. Let's just try a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And so they all like every idea was on the table. They tried a bunch of things. They looked at which ones worked and then they just, you know, focused in on the, the ideas that were working. Whereas the MBAs discussed for a long period of time, different ways to approach the solution, narrowed in on one and barely got that one thing done in the time period allotted. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it was good. It was a very yeah. good first attempt. It was, you know, much better than the average attempt of the kindergartners, but the kindergartners were much quicker, much faster at finding the global maximum versus the local maximum that the MBAs found. Mm -hmm. And so if you're thinking about your team, particularly thinking about like a, a growing company, right? Hey, we have a problem we've never faced before. How are we going to solve it? Most, most managers, when they're leading a team without tending to things like psychological safety, are going to get groupthink, right? They're going to get a, sometimes what's referred to um, as the highest paid person's opinion, right? Like the hippo. So that, that it's like hippo rules, right? And like, eh, might not be the best solution, but no one's going to say anything because it doesn't matter. They're not going to listen, right? And I think you want to avoid some of those things for sure. Because mm -hmm. that seems like a risk too, if you have people who uh, defer by default to the manager, then you're never, no one's going to grow because everybody's just going to do what that one person says. They're stuck. They're stuck. And then they leave, they quit and, and go for greener pastures, right? Um, uh, yeah. So there's, there's like three main factors, I think, in, in creating, um, you know, just, just like a high velocity of feedback at your organization. One is psychological safety. You try to be like the kinder, kindergartners building spaghetti, right? The other one is, is effort. So how easy is it to share? So it might be totally okay to share that, but uh, in some organizations, some teams, some people, in order to get your message or feedback across, you almost need a PhD dissertation. Mm -hmm. Universities are kind of like this. Universities have high psychological safety, but no one's going to respect some of the things you say unless you're putting in the energy and effort to like really do science. And that maybe is needed in universities is probably not needed in, in every single, you know, team format mm -hmm. for every single idea. Some people are just so high effort that even though they're safe, you know, even though it's a safe environment, the team is like, oh, I just can't be bothered. Like, I just don't have the energy to like tell my boss this. And then the, the other piece is benefit. It might be okay to share, it might be 
easy to share. And if that's the case, you're, you're going to want to make sure that it's worth sharing, right? That if someone shares feedback, that it gets addressed and it gets dealt with, or it gets communicated why it won't get dealt with. You need high psychological safety, you need low effort, you need um, high benefit. And if you're keeping yourself in check for those things as a manager and asking your team, how do you think I'm doing in those areas, then you're going to get a, a much more higher performing team unit organization function. Well, we're coming up on the end. So I wanted to see uh, as we as we wrap up, I want to see if there's anything that we didn't hit that you want to talk about, anything you want to make sure we get uh, out there as part of the podcast. You know, what What's what's the most important? Because this is uh, this is so interesting to me too. That there's the you know the development of the the training has it's so new, it's so fresh, and so this is you know things that a lot of people haven't even thought about to begin with. So what, you know, what do you want to make sure people take away? A few things. I think just the awareness that there's a couple of these absurdities going on probably in your workforce that that you didn't pay attention to. It's just it's it's status quo. So there's you know it's almost like you. You didn't see it. I think the the awareness that you know taking your highest paid people, you know, as managers, as management, kind of promoting them um, into this role, in a way, taking away their tools and only equipping them with moleskin note, notepads and and um, and calendar events. Uh, I think is I think is tough. Providing additional help, uh, particularly for new managers, is going to just pay so much so much dividends. Um, in a variety of ways from not only from retention of talent, but from, you know, achievement of goals, which is, I think, ultimately what we're, we're there for. And I think it's silly. I think it's silly not to do that. So again, it, it probably doesn't feel as productive as saying like, oh, let's upgrade our CRM. But we all, you know, if you were to imagine what it would be like to, you know, get the CEO of Netflix to run your company, you'd imagine it would be run so much better. This is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about, you know, arming our, our managers with the the tools and best practices that are battle hardened. And instead of having everyone kind of reinvent the wheel every single day, what if everyone was the CEO of Netflix, right? Like what would it look like at our at our company? And obviously that feels better in a variety of ways. Um, maybe it's worse depending on how you view Netflix culture. But <laughs> but I think, you know, that's that's really the mission that we're on. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Our product helps with that process of running those one-on-ones, running those team meetings as a manager, um, connecting them to your goals and making sure you've got a pulse check on, on uh, you know, team morale and make sure you don't have blind spots as a manager. So that's what we're there to do. That's what we're there to help. And and I think, you know, it goes beyond just being a good manager. It really becomes about being well-managed and well-managed companies, you know, have happier customers. Well-managed companies mm-hmm. have uh, more valuable customers, have you know, better customer service because the employees who are there doing the customer service love it, right? They love working at this business and that shows. I think the, the main thing to like take away is, is just the awareness that, hey, this is most likely to be a problem on your team. If anything I've said to you has made you think, then this is probably an issue on your team that um, you, you need to at least dive in with them. And, you know, if we can help, great. If we can't help, hopefully the the, the thoughts uh, help you and your team get there. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for, for having me uh, on. Really, really appreciate our time together. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap on today's episode of Unlocking Customer Service. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play to get notifications when new episodes drop each week. Or head to sharpencx.com slash podcast to catch up on all the latest episodes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review so we can reach more people like you.